Today on Blue 58, after overpowering the Chicago Bears in Week 1, the Packers came up short against the Atlanta Falcons in Week 2. Was it simply a case of running out of bodies, or was there more at work here? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode Win, lose, or draw. The Packers, of course, falling into the middle category there, falling to the Atlanta Falcons by one point, 25 to 24 on the road in Atlanta. A lot happened in this game and prior to the game, too. The pregame injury report kind of set the tone for how this was going to go. No Aaron Jones, no Christian Watson, and no David Bakhtiari, which is three pretty big strikes against any team much less one working in a first-year starter in need of all the support he can get. Then the Packers had to deal with in-game injuries to Elton Jenkins and Lucas Van Ness, and then there were the actual playing-the-game issues on top of that. You've got the Packers, just to skip to the end here, coming out in the fourth quarter and going three-and-out, three-and-out, and four-and-out on offense. Not a single first down, not a single completion, The ball moved forward on a grand total of three of the Packers' ten fourth-quarter plays. You got your six incompletions and A.J. Dillon running for no gain on one other play. You've also got the essentially entire game defensively. 211 yards on 45 rushing attempts between Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier, and Desmond Ritter. That is probably not a recipe for success, even if two of those three guys really didn't put up huge numbers statistically. Robinson himself did enough damage uh, to look like a latter-day Adrian Peterson. Just one sack for the pass rush, two dropped interceptions at least, though one technically was inconsequential given that it happened on a fourth down. You might have been looking at six the other way if Jair Alexander can collect that pick. Regardless of whether or not he would have scored there, I think it's a problem that Alexander looked pretty mortal in this one, though This was not a great matchup for him. Drake London physically is going to be tough for Jair Alexander, just given the size difference there. But still, those caveats aside, not a great performance from Jair Alexander. Then you've got a small but consequential special teams failure where the Packers did not get lined up quickly enough on a 51-yard attempt and subsequently punted after a delay of game penalty rather than taking the timeout and attempting the 51-yard field goal, which was a bit of a head-scratcher there considering that they liked um, Carlson from 52 last week outside on grass. I would have thought that 51 was a pretty makeable attempt for him. According to some people in our Discord server who had friends at the game, there's like three steps removed for a source. But they said people on the game told us, I guess via our chain of contact here, that Carlson had been good from 54 and beyond in pregame. So... I don't know, that was a bit of a head-scratcher too. Overall, injuries even aside, this seems like a a kind of systemic failure. Your offense is letting down your defense, your defense is letting down your offense, and if you start doing those two things at the same time, pretty soon you're going to end up on the wrong end of the scoreboard, and that is exactly what happened to the Green Bay Packers here in Week 2. The LaFleur microchip is gone. That was something that we we talked about a lot from basically 2019 through the end of 2021. 2022, it really kind of started to come apart. But the Matt LaFleur offensive system and really his teams in general are built like a high-quality piece of 
advanced technology. You've got a lot of little subsystems, a lot of different things working together and building off of each other. That is gone. It's not as intricate under Jordan Love right now as it was under Aaron Rodgers for good reason. Aaron Rodgers was running the doctoral or graduate level of the the offense with a lot of Aaron Rodgers preferences mixed in. Jordan Love is not there yet. It would be silly to expect him to be there. But even if it's not a microchip machine anymore, a football team is still a system. Every NFL team is, the Packers or, or whoever. And you've got different things building on top of each other. And you start taking out pieces. You start missing a couple plays here and there suddenly things start falling apart pretty quickly. And it very quickly can cascade into that catastrophic interactive system failure that I think that we saw today. One thing builds to another, builds to another, builds to another, and suddenly your 24 to 12 lead ends up with your 25 to 24 loss. Let's talk about three good things before we dive more into the the bad parts of this game. And there's plenty to talk about there. I don't think we're even going to get to all of it. Right off the bat, I think the first three quarters of Jordan Love were pretty, pretty solid. You did a great job of taking what was there, executing the offense well, despite the offense being what it was. And this, I think, is it was pretty obviously a limited version of the Packers offense. No Christian Watson and no Aaron Jones takes quite a few explosive elements out of this Packers offense. It's easy to do his pre-fourth quarter stats because you just extra, you just subtract six attempts. He had no completions on six attempts in the fourth quarter. That leaves you with 14 of 19 passing for 151 yards and three touchdowns. The margins in this game, and really just in the NFL in general, are so slim that really another two completions might win the game. You think about that first drive in the first quarter, Jordan Love, Goes over two on that drive, overshot somebody. I think it was Romeo Dobbs on the left side, and then he tries to force the ball short of the first down to Malik Heath on the right side, near interception. There, you give them a first down on that first completion, or you add in a different completion that results in a first down, and then you pick up another first down later in that drive. You're probably looking at running the clock down under eight minutes on that drive alone, maybe under seven minutes. And from there, it changes the entire complexion of the game just in terms of what's available to the Atlanta Falcons in terms of what they can do. Two more completions really might have changed things a lot for the Packers in this one, and they just could not get them in the fourth quarter. Second big good thing, I think, is going to center around Dontavion Wicks and Jaden Reed. Six catches, 77 yards, three touchdowns. If you told me that's the Packers were getting from the third and fourth wide receivers on the depth chart today, Christian Watson notwithstanding, I would have said you've got a win for sure. That's a pretty solid outing for week two for a second round pick and a fifth round pick in Reed and Wicks. Great, great performance for both of them. Just showed a lot of what they can bring to the offense. Reed scoring a couple different ways, uh, a little push pass, kind of end around sort of jet sweep, and then a nice little crosser getting open on the right side. Wicks showing himself to be tough after the catch, which is kind of what we expected after uh, out of him, just kind of a ruggedly built wide receiver, not necessarily great top-end speed, but catching the ball and doing great things after the catch, that was that was exciting to see. Really don't have a a third solid thing here, but I I think just as an overall vibes here, for the first three quarters at least, you can see a lot of what the Packers were working with 
and it, it coming together in a lot of interesting ways, even without the explosive downfield element. You can see what the Packers are trying to build with guide like guys like Reed and with Wicks. You can see how Jordan Love fits into that, where he is in his career right now. I don't know if that's enough to stand on its own as a third good thing for this game, but in a game that the Packers were leading by double digits in the fourth quarter that they ended up losing, I don't know if we really need to spend a whole lot of time trying to find a third good thing. Let's talk about the bad, and I think for that we've got to start with the Bijan Robinson defense. Aside from what the Packers did against Tyler Algier and against Desmond Ritter, Robinson did enough to basically end this one by himself. 19 carries, 124 yards, four catches, 48 yards. To bring back another phrase from the past, what about being surprised by the obvious here? Who is the engine of the Atlanta Falcons offense? We talked about it in the preview. Anybody who follows the NFL knows that this is the case. The Atlanta Falcons want to run the ball, and their most dynamic runner is B. John Robinson. How could this scheme and this method of attacking have been a surprise? I get that you've got one week of film on Robinson. I get that they're technically throwing almost exclusively unscouted looks your way. But just letting a guy like that beat you, either he's really, really good or you're really, really bad. I don't know how to make it, how to put more nuance on it than that. Either he's so good that nobody's going to stop him, or you're so bad at your job that you can't understand that this guy is going to be the the main driver of their offense. And I don't really know if it comes down to scheme or personnel. I don't know enough about the Packers' inner workings of their run scheme and how it works to say that they could have been doing this differently schematic-wise to I don't know, slow down Bijan Robinson, because it seems like they were doing enough to slow down Algier and Ritter. Uh, Algier averaged three yards per carry. Ritter averaged 3.9. You can get by with that. So I, I don't know if it's entirely scheme, but on the other hand, I think there's some concern personnel-wise here. The Packers are not flush with big bodies up front, even still. It was a problem last year. It was a problem in 2021. It's been a problem for a while, and they have not really invested a ton in getting more bodies that are primarily run stoppers. Devontae Wyatt has has had a nice start to this season, but he is not, the run stopping is not the primary aspect of his game. The Packers want him to rush the passer. And beyond that, outside of Kenny Clark and TJ Slayton, that's defensive linemen one, two, and three, the Packers are relying on pretty heavily on two rookie defensive linemen, one of whom is about 280 pounds in Colby Wooden. You can see why, scheme issues aside, there might be some problems with the Packers' run defense just from a personnel aspect. You've got Kenny Clark, you've got TJ Slayton, both of whom can be pretty solid against the run. Devontae Wyatt's primary job is not stopping the run, um, and even so, he's only in his second year. He's still coming along there. And beyond that, you've got rookies in Wooden and Carl Brooks. You could see why there might be some issues here. Back on the offensive side of the ball, the Packers' fourth quarter, and specifically throughout the game, the deep ball from Jordan Love, I think were legitimately bad. Love went 0 for 6 passing in the fourth quarter. One of those 0 for 6 was a high-difficulty drop to be fair. 
But that's how games are lost. And obviously, I think we're going to need to resist going, riding the Hall of Fame to bum roller coaster week to week. But the standard is high in the NFL. One of the things that came to mind almost immediately in this game, watching Love's performance um, and, you know, reading some of the the excuses that people made for for Love, uh, you know, no timeouts, um, you know, limited personnel, all of which is true. But one of the things that came to mind was a 2016 game that actually happened to be in Atlanta because the Packers took over in that game down one point with 36 seconds left and two timeouts down one and did not end up winning that game. And two Packers beat reporters, Bob McGinn and Michael Cohen, very harshly criticized Rodgers for failing to lead a comeback against the Atlanta Falcons when they got the ball back with 36 seconds left and and two timeouts. They said on their podcast that that is something that happens every week in the NFL, that guys lead comebacks in those circumstances. An absurd criticism to make. It is provably false. And many people proved it to both McGinn and Cohen, one of whom was me, and were summarily blocked on Twitter as a result. Did not like that particular criticism for whatever reason. Uh, But it, it is just, it's a very high degree of difficulty. And yet that's the kind of standard there is in the NFL. I don't think we necessarily need to apply that standard to Jordan Love. But I think it is fair to say this opportunity was here. He did not capitalize on it. And there were several really opportunities throughout the fourth quarter that he and the Packers offense did not capitalize on. There really is no grading on a curve in the NFL. The guys you play with are the guys you got. The Packers are not going to get a chance a week from now, two weeks from now, whenever, to play the Atlanta Falcons again and say, okay, now we're really ready to play you guys because David Bakhtiari's knee is settled down, Christian Watson is ready. Now we're really going to get an idea what we've got out there. No, it's gone. That opportunity is over. There is no grading on a curve. You get the guys that you get, and you have to make the most of the opportunities that you have, and the Packers under love really didn't. And a big reason that they didn't, I think, in this game was because they couldn't attack down the field at all. Part of that is personnel again. But part of that is that Jordan Love was just not great throwing the ball downfield. They completed two passes beyond 10 yards downfield and zero passes beyond 20 yards downfield. Both of the deep defensive pass interferences were DPIs because they were underthrown. A ball thrown that hits either receiver in stride there is not a DPI because they don't have to come back for the ball. Both of them end up being pass interference because the receiver has to come back to the ball through the defender. Now, if you look back at Aaron Rodgers' career, he throws to that, or he ha- he did throw to that back when he had two functioning Achilles tendons. Part of the game is recognizing those situations and throwing into them. But I think it's fair to ask, even through week two, when we're going to see the elite arm talent from Jordan Love in the intermediate and deep portions of the field. I've seen some of the highlights. I know you've seen the highlights. I've seen the the QB school breakdown of the no-look pass last week that befuddled Tremaine Edmonds. That's great. But the selling point on love, the the marketing materials on love in 2020, even prior to when he was drafted by the Packers, was that he had special generational arm talent. 
people compared him to Patrick Mahomes just in terms of his ability to throw the football. And I don't think we've ever really seen a throw that resembles something from Pat Mahomes from Jordan Love at any point in his career. That is that seems like an absurdly high, you know, standard to have for somebody. But it's not just coming out of nowhere. That's something that people legitimately said about Jordan Love four years ago or three years ago when he was drafted. I would just like to see that at some point because today the Packers were not great throwing the ball downfield and a lot of the stuff, even dating back to last week that we've seen from Love's in, in terms of his statistical production, has been a, as a result of stuff you know moving after the catch. Then you've got the Packers' offensive line, which was a problem for numerous issues. Elton Jenkins apparently has a sprained MCL. Would guess he's probably back post-buy on that, but you never know. Packers do have a buy in week six, so if he's out four weeks, he'd be back for week seven, having missed only three games. The first game after the Packers' buy is in Denver, which always gets a little bit of funky in terms of, of injuries and travel and, and stuff like that. So I would think at least three weeks here for for Jenkins, but you never really know. Every injury is different, and I don't know for sure if it's to the same knee where he tore his ACL, uh, but if it is, I, I would have to imagine there's some kind of complication or additional concern there. Speaking of additional concerns and complications, though, David Bakhtiari out for this game. Officially, it wasn't that they were playing on turf that ruled him out, but I, I don't think you can rule that, that out as a behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, David Bakhtiari has um, repeatedly talked about how his um, well his his disdain for turf. He doesn't like playing on turf, and uh, there are a lot of people who share that concern with him in the NFL. Um, his the turf that they have in Atlanta. I think I've got this right. I, I, I want to speak carefully here, uh, but um, Matub from the Reporting as Eligible podcast was able to identify or confirm that the turf that they have in Atlanta is the same turf that they have in New York where Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles, which David Bakhtari was very critical about. In any case, if it is the turf, if it was just that Bakhtari feels like his knee can't go if he plays on turf, we should be in good shape for a while because the Packers don't play on artificial surfaces again until week 12 in Detroit. However, there is the case, there is the possibility that it might not be just the turf. And if it isn't, this could be the first in a series of rough games for the Packers' offense overall. A big part of Aaron Rodgers' rough 2022 was offensive line uncertainty early. You had David Bakhtiari not being full go until probably like week six or week seven or so. Elton Jenkins uh, being a little bit shaky in his return from an ACL. And those factors together, kind of having uncertainty week in, week out, who's going to play what, who's even going to be available, was a big part of why the Packers weren't very good for the first six, seven weeks of the season which, you know, factored into Aaron Rodgers breaking his thumb and this, that, and the other thing. We've, we've talked that to death. But if we are headed for a similar situation, it could be a rough go here for a while if the Packers can't get things sorted out on their offensive line. Finally, A.J. Dillon. I would love for, to give him a bit of a pass because of how the offensive line played in this game. I think there were some times where it looked like the Packers were using him a little bit more effectively, just getting him going north and south versus trying to get him around the edge for whatever reason last week. But how many times is he going to just trip over nothing? How many times is there going to be a hole there and he's just going to the ground before he even gets to the offensive line for reasons that are just simply not clear. Why is a second round pick running back just not more effective than A.J. Dillon is? 
I don't have any answers. I am frankly a little bit tired of talking about A.J. Dillon already at this point in the season, but until he starts performing better, I think we're kind of just going to be stuck here talking about A.J. Dillon an awful lot. So what does it all mean? In addition to being one and one in addition to dropping a very winnable game, I think there are two big takeaways. First, there is work to be done. Jordan Love needs to work on a number of things. We knew that, but he needs to work specifically on his deep ball. A.J. Dillon needs to work on just standing up uh, and you know, continuing to stand up at the appropriate times and move forward as he does so. The defense just needs work in general, and here we are in year three of the Joe Barry era, and this is all we've got to show for it. But on top of that, we've got to remember, and this really drives that home, that this is going to be a process. I think one of the things that's difficult to quantify but easy to see in some ways is the loss of institutional memory. One of the best things things about playing sports and about watching people play sports as a high, at a high level is seeing the benefits of guys being together for a long time. If you played sports, you probably experienced this. Uh, just playing with, with your teammates for a long time gives you almost a kind of superpowers. I remember vividly a play from my high school basketball career as we rewind to the glory days of, well, an indeterminate amount of time ago. But there was a play in one particular game where we had a play on. Uh, I was supposed to go to one particular part of the of, of our half-court offense, make this cut off of this guy at this time. But I saw something in the defense where I went off script and you know did a backdoor cut, and my teammate, who had the ball on the wing, saw it at the exact same time that I did, and without even looking, hit me with a perfect bounce pass in stride, layup, two points, great play. Those are the sort of things that you can do when you've just been with someone for a long time. You see things the same way that they do. Aaron Rodgers was like that with so many of the receivers that he played with for a long time. The reason that he likes playing with guys like Randall Cobb is because he knows what Randall Cobb is going to do and Randall Cobb knows what he is going to do. When he worked at a high level with Devontae Adams, you saw this on a week-in, week-out basis. They're doing things that are not technically part of the offense just because they know what to do in a given time. And late in the Packers game, I think it might have been the Packers' second-to-last drive. No, they didn't throw it all on their second-to-last drive. It was on their last drive. Uh, Jordan Love is throwing to the left, and he misses Romeo Dobbs. And he misses him in such a way that Jonathan Vilma described that it looked like he didn't know if Dobbs was going to the the sideline or trying to push the ball downfield. And he, he was, Vilma was having a rough game today, but he, he was trying to describe the tension of not exactly knowing what the other guy is going to do in that given situation. That is the perfect example of some of what the Packers have lost when you go from a guy who's in his 18th, 19th year in Aaron Rodgers to a guy who's just in his second year. He doesn't have the same relationship with you know, analyzing defenses on the fly that Love does. And his receivers are also right there with them. They don't have the same sort of institutional memory that some of the, the Packers veteran receivers had to be able to make those sort of things on the fly, to, to make those reads on the fly. And that is just something that you can't replicate. You can't just get an injection of more of that. It's only something that you can build 
over time. And that's one of the real bummers of not having Christian Watson on the field here in the early going is these are valuable, you know, growing opportunities for him and Love to do things together. They haven't got a chance to do those things together yet. And it's going to be a process as a result. Building that institutional memory takes some time. So what happens next? Packers finally get a game at home. They play the Saints in Green Bay next Sunday, a noon or one o'clock kickoff, depending on where you are in the central or eastern parts of the United States. Hooray for home games. Really excited about all that and really excited about um, some people who I know are going to this game that are getting to go for the first time. Very, very exciting stuff. Uh, The Saints and Panthers play on Monday Night Football this week, so if you haven't had a chance to see the Saints yet this year, that should be a pretty good preview of what they are doing uh, because they should be able to do basically what they want, I think, against the Carolina Panthers. Derek Carr is now the quarterback in New Orleans, if that is is of interest to you, but uh, a new quarterback coming to New Orleans or coming to Green Bay with New Orleans this week. Looking at the Packers' rookie class this week, a mixed bag, but a pretty solid performance, I think, overall. Lucas Van Ness, two tackles total, one tackle for loss. He left the game with an elbow injury today. Luke Musgrave finishes the game with two catches for 25 yards. His work was basically done after the first quarter. He was last targeted with a pass with about 13 minutes to go in the second quarter and never got another target the rest of the game. Jaden Reed, four catches, 37 yards, two touchdowns, one fair catch as a punt returner. We neglected to mention his special teams impact last week, but we've got the fair catch for you this week. Just for comparison's sake, through two weeks, uh, Jaden Reed, excuse me, has five catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns. For comparison, Amari Rogers, in his entire Green Bay career, had eight catches for 95 yards and no touchdowns. So Reed, through just two games, is only 10 yards and three catches behind Amari Rogers, the former third-round pick. Tucker Craft was not targeted with a pass today, so we don't know exactly his full impact, but he did play in this game. Colby Wooden did not record a notable stat, and neither did Sean Clifford because he did not play in this game. Dontavion Wicks uh, got his first career catch, nice 32-yard touchdown, finished the day with two catches for 40 yards and the score. Carl Brooks had one assist on a tackle. Anders Carlson had the weird, you know, timing lining up thing, but overall finished the day one for one on field goals, three for three on extra points. Still has yet to miss on either of those things um, throughout this year. Had four touchbacks on kickoffs today. Uh, so solid performance on uh, on kickoffs so far this week, or so far this year. Carrington Valentine did not record a stat today, and neither did Anthony Johnson, though Johnson was inactive, so it would have been impressive if he did manage to record a stat. Malik Heath had one target, no catches. Uh, the target came on a, what I think is a pretty bad force from Jordan Love on a third down, was nearly interception inter- intercepted. Not Heath's fault, but not a great result there. Overall, Emmanuel Wilson, three carries for five yards, had a big loss on a toss on his first career carry. Kind of set up to fail like uh, A.J. Dillon has been at times this year. I realize you can't just run exclusively up the middle, but neither Dillon nor Wilson is really built for trying to get to the edge with their speed. So I, I I just don't know why you keep doing it again and again. Hard to be too hard on him and, to a certain extent, A.J. Dillon too, given the state of the offensive line. We did ding Dylan for his performance, uh, even grading on the curve of the defensive line or on the offensive line 
But um, neither of them really was in a great position to succeed today. You just wish you could get a little bit more out of Dylan, given the opportunities that he got. Finally, Brenton Cox, uh, adding him into our rookie watch this week, was inactive and probably will continue to be inactive this season unless one of the other edge rushers gets hurt at some point this year. Let's close it out with a few more random observations and then get you on into the start of your week, wherever your week is starting uh, after this Packers loss. First of all, great looking game, I thought. Uniforms were on point on both sides today. The Packers road uniforms are what they are, not their most spectacular set. But the Falcons resplendent in their throwback uniforms today. Loved a lot of the little details. Jesse Bates' arm sleeve, for instance, black with a little bit of red trim on that. Just a little bit of an extra touch uh, for a uniform accessory there. Just great stuff. Loved the gold trim on the Falcons' helmets. Just tiny gold stripes outside of the outside of the white on their helmets. Just really, really great stuff. Supposedly a nod in the original uniform design there to both Georgia and Georgia Tech. So you get the red and the black of Georgia and the gold in there from Georgia Tech. I don't know if that's true, but I, I saw that repeated by somebody whose opinion I trust. Uh, so th- that seems like as good of a an indication as anything. Uh, either way, a gorgeous, gorgeous set of throwback uniforms from the Atlanta Falcons today. Shame the Packers couldn't... Um, send them home with a loss as great looking as they were. On Jordan Love's performance, this was the first time, this two-week period, is the first time a Packers quarterback has had six touchdown passes over two weeks since weeks 15 and 16 of the 2021 season. Even if it's not all on him, it is nice to see that kind of statistical production from the quarterback position given how down Aaron Rodgers was for most of last season, uh, thumb injury notwithstanding. Uh, I loved, speaking of Love's performance, the flea flicker to open the game. I think if you're going to get weird, it behooves you to do it early, uh, just because I think at that point your opponent is wondering throughout the entire rest of the game when the next weird thing is coming. If you do something like that on the first play of the game, just, I think, sets the tone. And it gave the Packers a big jump right off the bat. Unfortunately, they really couldn't capitalize on it, which was kind of a running theme for the day. Couldn't capitalize on opportunities. Rasheed Walker got the start at left tackle. Pretty rough start by my estimation. Had a full start on the first drive that turned a third and seven into a third and 12. You had Daniel Carlson's field goal thing two plays later. So if you start adding up some of the lost yardage there, you see that it might have cost the Packers some points. Those little things just have a way of adding up. Uh, The Falcons also went pretty hard after Walker on the next drive on a third and 11 play. Sent two people through his area. Ended up one coming through unblocked and getting the sack on Jordan Love. That's what I would do. I would go after the first-time starter if I was going to try to figure out how to get after the the quarterback on the, you know, up front. Go after the guy who has very little experience, and that tends to work uh, throughout the league on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, Rasul Douglas got an interception today. It was his 10th interception with the Green Bay Packers. He moves out of a tie with a few guys like Nick Barnett, Morgan Burnett, Tony Canadeo, all of whom had nine interceptions in their Packers career. That's not an exhaustive list, but that is some of the people who who finished their career with nine picks. He's now tied with Jair Alexander, Atari Bigby, Terrell Buckley, Demarius Randall, and others with 10 career interceptions. Maybe it's just kind of darkly funny to me, but I loved Kenny Albert's anecdote, which he brought up twice Uh, about Jordan Love learning from Aaron Rodgers, saying that Aaron Rodgers always emphasized the importance of checkdowns. 
uh, physician heal thyself, I think, in, in that circumstance. Because Jordan Love has done a pretty good job of taking check down so far in his relatively short Packers career. That's something that it feels like we asked Aaron Rodgers to do a lot more of at all points in his NFL career. But, you know, as long as Aaron Rodgers knew it, I guess that counts for something. Uh, the Packers pulled within five on a read option TD run by Desmond Ritter. It looked, to me at least, like Rashawn Gary was the read player there. And I don't know if that was intentional, but I also don't know if there's a more reliable play near the goal line or in a gotta-have-it-run situation than picking on Rashawn Gary in the run game because it always seems like he crashes down hard and leaves the end wide open. And if you've got a mobile quarterback who can run a little bit of read option, just putting the entire thing on Rashawn Gary seems like a winning strategy, and it was, at least in that instance, for the Atlanta Falcons there. Speaking of running quarterbacks, we'll close with this one. How about a statistical nugget about Jordan Love taking off and running? 24-yard run for Jordan Love in today's game. Aaron Rodgers last had a 20-yard run uh, back in 2018, and he last had a run of at least 24 yards all the way back in 2012, a 27-yard touchdown run against the Detroit Lions. Love's run today was the longest run by a Packers quarterback since Brett Hundley went for 24 yards against the Lions in 2017. So it's been a while since we've seen a quarterback get downfield the way Jordan Love did today. Disappointing, I think, if I was going to put a single word on this one. Packers had it. It was there. I know that um, this is a learning experience for this whole team. I know they're coming along slowly here. But still, I, I don't think it's too much to ask to put away a game that you're leading by double digits in the fourth quarter. That's part of learning, too, but uh, a painful lesson, I think, for the Green Bay Packers today. In any case, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a, sh- a second and share this episode uh, with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.